Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Bridge Podcast. We're up to number four. Hope you've enjoyed the other three. Some really great feedback about those and some good feedback about uh, the one with Dave last weekend. So that's really good. So thank you for that. Remember, you can get in touch with the show, podcast.bridgechapel.co.uk if you've got any comments or suggestions. So I'm joined today by Matt Horry. Hi, Matt. Hello. So you know how it goes by now. Just going to have a chat, ask a few questions, and then we'll see where we end up from there. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds fun. Good. How's your day been? It's been all right, yeah. Full of lots of shipping queries. Shipping queries? Shipping queries, yeah. So what what kind of shipping queries are you receiving? What's increasing, decreasing, whatever? And then tell us a little bit about your job. Maybe do that the other way around, I suppose. Yeah, okay. Um, so work for like the digital side of Maersk. Um, we're trying to help um, small businesses uh, to ship things who maybe have never shipped anything before. Um, but right now with lockdown, obviously, uh, some companies are shutting down and not really shipping anything. But other companies um, are doing loads and loads of, of bookings with us. So Garnet Garden Furniture, right. massively popular. Coming into the UK. Yeah, coming into the UK because people have got nothing else to do but yeah. paint the fences or put yeah, up squirrel yeah. tables or whatever. <laughs> um, packaging for supermarkets, that's massive. Um, the little bottles for hand sanitizer, yeah, of course, all of that, yeah. and obviously all PPE for companies and for the NHS, all of that's coming in. So you're busy, yeah, busier than ever to be honest. I wow. feel. So yeah. you're based in Liverpool. Maersk is a yeah. Danish company, is it? Danish, yeah, Danish yeah, company. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your office is based in town, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So how many are in your team there? In our team in Twill, which is our part of the business, um, there's three of us doing the job that I do. But then there's another two, so one sales guy who's out on the road, although he's not driving anywhere right now. Yeah. And a boss, she is up in Glasgow. Right, okay. And how has the coronavirus situation affected what you do personally and, and how how you do? Obviously, like you've just said, there's still loads of stuff moving mm. and you're busier than yeah. you were before lockdown, which is a little bit crazy. Yeah. But how are you still doing your job? Yeah, so... Um, our company was always pretty well set up to work from home anyway. We've um, always had the ability to just take our laptops away yeah. <clears throat> and work from them not that, like that. Um, but now I, I went into work and I, I borrowed slash uh, nicked for a temporary basis my two big screens from the office. So I'm, right. I'm all set up in my kitchen next to my dishwasher. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. So okay. just doing exactly the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally nothing has changed, just the location. So do you think, is it possible that when this is over, that might be the way you continue to work, or will you definitely be going back to the office? Yeah, I'd, I'd really hope that, I think it's going to change nationally, isn't it? But um, I really hope that we can kind of prove to everyone that we can do our job and therefore, you know, get a bit of that flexibility. And do a bit of homework in yeah, and a bit be, of office. That'd be really good to have that flexibility around. It'd take two hours out of your day, every day which would be nice. Yeah, and then you'd have two hours from the company's point of view, extra yeah. productivity, I guess. Mm. So it does make sense for them, yeah. Interesting. So how did you get into that? Um, completely unintentionally. <laughs> uh, so some of you may remember a student who came here uh, called Sam Kingston. Right. Um, whenever I mention him to Bill, Bill remembers him for his good left foot on the footy pitch. All oh, right. Yeah, so Sam, <laughs> if you're listening, um, it was your fault. So he uh, right. he knew there was a job going at Maersk four years ago, and uh, I applied because I was unemployed at the time. Um, and yeah, the, the rest is, is history. history. Yeah. So you're not from Liverpool. 
Okay, so clearly, yeah. Let's go down that path a little bit. Tell us a little bit about you know your history, where you're from, where you grew up, family, you know that kind of st- stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Nottingham, uh, in the Midlands, um, from a, a little uh, I don't know what you call it suburb village of, okay. of Nottingham called Toton. Um, and I grew up there with me mum and me dad. Um, I'm the eldest of three kids. I've got a sister called Lydia. Uh, and a brother called Isaac. Okay. Yeah, so that's the family. Situation. And were you a church-going family? Was church a part of your family life? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we always went to a church called Stapleford Baptist, which was just in, like, the next town, really, just up the road. In many ways, actually, similar to Garston, I was thinking about this. Um, kind of really boomed economically in kind of the 19th century, around the mills and things. Mm-hmm. For Garston, it was the ports, but there it was the mills. Um and then kind of through the 20th century, kind of more into uh, decline um, and things, spe- especially around, you know, 70s and 80s. So it's like a um, normal Midlands working class town. And we went to uh, Stapleford Baptist Church right in the middle of in the middle of Stapleford. And is that a, is that a walk, a drive from where you were? Um, yeah, it was about a five minute drive. OK. Yeah. So that's where my mum and dad actually met when he came to uni in Nottingham. Um, from? From a village called Mobley in Cheshire, just near Nutsford. Okay, so he's from kind of these ways-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and okay. I like to say I'm an honorary scouser anyway because my grandma and granddad were from Heighton on my mum's side. Okay. Yeah, um, my mum was born in Warrington. Um, so I've always had this northwestern North-west. link, but somehow yeah. ended up in the Midlands, yeah. So church is part of your life. You're the yeah. oldest of three. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the age gaps between you guys? Two years between me and Lydia, my sister. Um, so I'm 26, so she'll be 24. Good maths. And yeah. She'll be in shipping. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then six years between me and my brother. So he's getting on for 21 now. Okay. Yeah. And we, did you go to the same school? Did you go to different schools? Yeah, same school. Uh, oh. Mixed school, just at the top of the hill. Did your younger siblings always get compared to you? <laughs> um. Uh, that's I don't like know. A maybe that's a thing, isn't it? That's like, a, like oh, maybe as, yeah. As an ex-teacher, but also was like with having kids, and they're always, you know, oh, you're not as good as your yeah. sister, or you know, you ne- your elder brother never did this, that, and the other. Or exactly. Whatever. I think my sister got slightly higher grades at GCSE than you. Yeah, which I think was noted by the teachers that taught both of us. Okay. Yeah. Just you but, like you to know, bring that up often. I like to say that I pushed her to, to you know, achieve <laughs> You better. blazed a trail. Yeah, exactly. For her success. I made it easier. It's like when you're opening the, a tough can of pickles, I kind of loosened it. Oh, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, you pass it over. Yeah. yeah I did the hard work there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So tell us about the church and your experience of going along. And a lot, lots of folk will talk about being in a church family, going along to church, mm. you know, you're going to become a, you could be a Christian, you could say you're a Christian anyway without, you know, personal experience or whatever. So talk to us a little bit how the, about the challenges of that, expectations maybe, mm. and then when you came to faith personally. Yeah. So the church um, has changed a lot in my lifetime. When I was growing up there, um, so you probably have a steady congregation in the mornings of maybe 100, 120. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, it was 
traditional kind of Baptist church setup. It was all one floor, but it was, you know, three sets of pews. Right, okay. Just to give you a sense of, of the yeah. building. So and it's we, a church building. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, built in late 1800s, I think. Um, so, yeah, it was always it was always relatively full, uh, I think, when I was a kid. And there was a lot of kids around. And then um, I think the way, I could be wrong about this, but I think the way it happened was we started ha- in Nottingham. Had lots of bigger churches kind of start up in the city. So names you'd recognise, I think, like Trent Vineyard and Beeston Free. Okay. Um, and I think this has happened in many cities in the UK. You would, with incre- increased mobility, people can easily jump in the car, sure. can't they, for 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to a bigger uh, church. And I think that kind of effect happened in Nottingham and it sucked people out from the suburbs like Stapleford. Um, okay. To go to church, you know, on, on in these bigger... Th- I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. So, um, but there was a bit of a... Decline yeah, yeah, definitely a decline in numbers. Right. And um, our pastor left for a time, so it was left for six years with only the elders uh, running it and doing all the, the preaching and teaching and, and pastoring. Um, then we eventually had a new pastor uh, called Jason. Uh, he came along kind of when I was a teenager. Um, and that was really good. He's had a long, hard slog. Um, Is he still there now? Yeah, still there now, but wow. things are... It's so changed about a ten lot. years or so then, I guess, yeah. that he's been there. Yeah, and um, I think he's really starting to see the fruit there now, which is brilliant. There's been baptisms um, recently as well, uh, and the church is, is growing again, which is really nice to see. And I'm thankful to God that Jason's seen some of the fruit of, of his efforts there. But... did in, in the town um, so we had it a bit like uh, here in Bridge we had it right from age 4 up to 18 actually um, so yeah I, I went all through that uh, and work settled what, so were people leaving while you were there people were drifting away and was that was yeah. that like so was there a big youth children's group there uh, yeah, yeah, there was, and and did that decline during that period? No, cause I think inter- a lot of it was um, from the families of of the church, but a massive part of the kids that came along to the children's and youth stuff were just Community kids from the area. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the, the decline in the church, um, in terms of a numbers setting, yeah, uh, yeah, was. I don't. I wouldn't know exactly no, no. what that was caused by people moving away. Or and were, you, were your changing. parents involved in in the work of the church? Were they? Yeah. So dad's always been an elder there as long as I can remember. Yeah. I think since I was a young kid. And yeah, my mum's always had an active part there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah. so so let's talk about your yeah. coming to faith. Your yeah. So journey. when when I get asked this question, 
I always find it really hard to say when, and I don't yeah. think I don't think I can. I think I'd say it was more of a a transition. Um, clearly, there was a point I found things I've I've um, wrote in the past and watched a video of my baptism. So I was baptized quite young. I was about eleven or twelve. Oh wow! Fifteen years ago. Yeah. This year, it was. Um, so I knew I was. I, I knew I had faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard when you're from a Christian background and you can't always give yourself that definitive moment of when you think you you believed. And I, I remember going to my pastor, Jason, about this when I was a teenager and I said, I can't pin it. I, I don't know when it was. And did you did you find that dif- difficult when you're, when you're hearing other people's testimonies <laughs> and yeah. they're a bit more like dramatic or... Yeah, yeah. like a snap moment. Yeah, when, when they can point to a moment, are you then thinking, oh, well... You know, that wasn't yeah. like that for me. And yeah, I think that's what part of the struggle was. It was like, well, I haven't, I didn't have that, you know, yeah. snap moment. So, I'd, has it happened? Yes, was, was probably the doubt that crept in. Yeah, yeah. And um, Jason was great. He just said, "Well, do you love Jesus now? And are you seeking to follow Him in your life now? Take that as evidence of the Spirit's work in your life, and and let that um, let that be a confirmation to you that." It has happened. And then looking back now, getting baptised at 11. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on that? I still believe it was absolutely genuine, yeah. definitely. Um, obviously, the Bible talks about having uh, faith like a child, mm-hmm. and I believe that means a child can, can have faith. And um, I, w- I would have sat and spoken with uh, various numbers of, of the elders going through that ahead of baptism. Yeah. And with my dad as well. Yeah, they yeah. wouldn't have wanted to do it lightly. Yeah. Um but that that was definitely part of my journey. I I saw my friend who was a bit I think he was about my age. Um he got baptized like the year or so before and I saw that and thought, well, could I do that? Could I stand on a stage and say mm-hmm. that yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me and and loved me and that I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I was confident enough at that age to say yeah, I could. Um of course, looking back over your teenage years, I think there was an there was a time when it really picked up and kicked off, and when things start to change in your life and the world changes around you and your friends start to change, you then think, well, um, am I going to stick to this now? Um, so let, let's yeah. let's maybe fast forward a little bit to that to that time. Mm. Um, so a couple of people who've been on have talked about um, events or circumstances happening that brought them to a point where they were like, well, hang on, you know. I, I don't know if you, we chatted with Mark about uh, nominalism. I don't want to keep going over the same yeah. thing, but it is very mm-hmm. easy, especially in a, a Christian family who were going to church you know, your dad's an elder, your mum's involved. It is very easy to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Mm. But just to never have that, like, personal yeah. experience and then that decision to say, no, I'm going to to live for Christ. So mm. when, did, when did that happen and what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, again, it's really hard for me to put a definitive experience or, or moment yeah. um, on that. But a huge part of it was the, the youth work. Right. That I was involved in. So I, I was, um, we had the group for kind of, I think it was 14 to 18 year olds 
Uh, it was called Text. T X T. So we had incredible wow, how naming. Cool. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I think it was called that because they just used to text around to work out when they were meeting up. Yeah. So it just became known as Text. Right. Terrible, but you know, <laughs> and it has a context. I'm behind. glad you said it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, as terrible as the name was, the uh, the group was an incredible part of my story, and I would probably say of many others as well. Mm-hmm. And so, what did it look yeah. like? Text, you know, what happened? Yeah. When did it happen? Friday it was, nights, uh, yeah. Friday nights, um, half seven till half nine. Kind of uh, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Half seven till half nine. Some games. Some games often kind Some. of made up on a whim. Yeah. Um. Some girls. There were there were girls involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were also, um, and then some talks. Yeah, kebabs. Uh, well, there's okay. a kebab shop down the corner, so that made an entrance every now and again. Right. Uh, yeah, but we used to do it in small groups, so we didn't do talks. We used to used to um, with the lads, our lads group would go up to the library, and uh, okay. And how many how many were talking about were there on a Friday night? How many youth in text? Mm. You could have anywhere between, depending on the night, 10 yeah. and 30, maybe. Yeah. Um, that was incredibly important in definitely in my journey because... The smaller numbers. Yeah, but the le- I think particularly of the leaders, they, they gave up our, their Friday nights yeah. um, so that I could know Jesus better. And when, the more I think about that now, the more powerful it is. Yeah, like yeah. We, we just want to mess around yeah. half the time. But uh, I particularly remember um, one of our youth leaders called Kevin. And he he really pushed, really pushed me to go, well, are you serious about this? Is this Christian life going to, that you say you live? And roughly what age are you now? I'd say probably about 14, 15. Okay. This really started to happen. And... Um, so a, a leader being brave enough to yeah to ask what may be a awkward or uncomfortable yeah, question absolutely and he talk about the topics that no one else would really want to bring up the the topics that teenagers are worried about thinking through yeah the life's changing around all of these things and he'd he'd push right through them and say well you're going to follow Jesus mm-hmm. I remember this is probably close to the end or at, closer to the end of our time together um, he had us in a circle. Um, because we were such a tight-knit group praying. And I remember him saying, uh, the statistics tell us that one in ten people who claim to know Jesus as teenagers in ten years' time um, will be the only ones left of that ten. So nine out of ten won't still be walking with Jesus. Mm. And I remember him saying that, and I remember thinking, I don't want to be one of the nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want to be one of the one yeah yeah because whilst i didn't i was probably like your your normal kind of goody two-shoes kind of guy i was doing really well at school loved school wasn't getting up to to bad stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah definitely could be very proud and arrogant as a teenager definitely
start to kind of hit the. So what, what kind of what kind of broke that down? Are you thinking about it now? Mm. I mean, we do um, rightly or wrongly. We're, we te- we're we're attracted to people's stories, and the more dramatic they yeah. are, you know, oh yeah, yeah. The, the more appealing they may be. That was a big um, deal for me, actually. Yeah, sure. And just because someone's story isn't dramatic doesn't mean yeah. it's any less powerful or profound. Yes, um, got a point on that. I'll share in a minute. Okay, boss. Yeah. So, just thinking about what you've just said there about being arrogant and what mm. you know, myself definitely. What what kind of broke that down? Um, was that something going on within? You know, something going on without? Something you're reading, thinking about conversations. Um, yeah, I think, I think certainly as a young teenager, you can just, yeah, you can start, you can think you've got it all sorted, can't you? Actually, the older I've got, the more and more, <laughs> the I'm less still realising, yeah, <laughs> I've got absolutely nothing uh, worked out. But I think going to a, certainly a mixed school with no, a completely secular school as well, yeah. and kind of in the, my mid-teenage years, definitely through into to sixth form, that's when it really became acute to me, was how if Jesus is calling me to live the way he wants me to live, that is increasingly different from how my friends What's want me to live. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, I think one of the things Kevin helped me to do was realise that actually, even though the world's going one way, it's not the way that I want to be going. It's not the way to the most yeah. joy. It's not the way to eternal life. It's not the way to knowing Jesus. It's not the way to others knowing that and being saved. Yeah, it's interesting actually because Dave talked last week about and um, when he came to uni at Liverpool, the the the, the culture shock of yeah, the, the rugby club of the rugby. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And him very quickly realizing, hang on, mm. that's not where I want to go if. I'm going to pursue Christ. Yeah, um, so it's interesting you're having a similar yeah. experience, albeit a little bit younger, but mm. not it, not far off. Yeah, and it it really kicked off Kevin again. <laughs> um, he he pushed me to go on my first beach mission um, with UBM, which I did. And what I found there was because the church was shrinking. Where did you go? Your first one? St Ives. <clears throat> nah, many things happened that first year. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the church was shrinking back home, there weren't many people my age that really loved um, Jesus and wanted to share him with others. Um, yeah. Certainly felt like that. But here on Beach Mission, there's all these Christians from different places yeah. who are all great people and love Jesus and want, and and want to share yeah, yeah. him with others. And that just oh, that gave me such a boost. Yeah. And then the week straight after going on that beach mission, um, I went on a, a trip to Switzerland with the scouts for two weeks and there wasn't a single Christian there. And it went, it felt like going right from the mountain top to right. the bottom of the valley. So um, huge contrast. Yeah. Huge, um, hugely different uh, context and situations. Yeah. And then going back into sixth form, still going on beach missions in in, in the summer and things like that. So this this first beach mission, how old mm. were you? Is that like sixteen? Yeah, sixteen I was. So as soon as you were old enough, you went sixteen. Yeah. That summer, so summer after GCSEs. 
Uh, yeah, it was. Year 11. Yeah. End of year 11. So you go to St. Ives, you have that like incredible experience. Yeah. You come back to sixth form, mm. studying what A-levels you're doing. Oh, what did I do? I did history, because uh, yeah. that was my degree. I did um, philosophy and ethics, politics and English language. Right, okay. Yeah. So tell us about the sixth form culture, because yeah, that's yeah. A, then a, a different change, isn't it? Where Oh, yeah, massively. You know, things are happening all over the place, and then you're starting to think about uni and mm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that is a time of life, isn't it, where people are trying to work out who am I and yeah. what am I going to do. And that was a time when being a Christian actually really started to affect my friendships a bit more. And your choices, I guess. Yeah, because the new thing was alcohol and house parties. Mm-hmm. And did you see how, how smashed that person was the other night? Yeah. And did you hear this story about that person or this bit of gossip? And wow, what an onslaught that is to yeah. to a young Christian's head. Um, and I remember not wanting to go and do the same things. Not because I was, that was the rules and that's not what a Christian does, but because I didn't want to. And I, I saw that, I saw and knew enough to know that that's not what I wanted out of life. And that it, by living another way, that would match what I was trying to tell my friends about the gospel. Um, Spurgeon talks about it as in a book I've, I've been reading recently again. Uh, he says when your lips and your life agree, that's mm. when the gospel can make such an impact. Um, so that's quite quite tough, isn't it, at that age? So 16, 17, you're then making decisions that are going to be unpopular, I guess, or yeah. you know, odd in a lot of people's minds. Um, so just talk a little bit about how making those decisions impacted you know I mean you've just mentioned haven't you about friendship yeah. so friendships start to, to break down or to drift certainly it definitely drifted a bit I think I felt there was always a tension um, with some of my friends who whether they were convicted by the way I lived I don't know or maybe it was more that they felt I was rejecting them for something else um that something else was more important to me than they were because mm-hmm. we've been such close friends through all of that we're still we're still good friends now but i think at that time it was just really intense yeah intense and noticeable um i think that there's a there's an element where if i, if I didn't outwardly agree with with something they were doing i'd want to kind of find any excuse to get away from it right and they'd probably view that as a kind of rejection, I guess. But yeah, I mean, th- there were still great opportunities with my friends there to talk about the gospel. And I do remember uh, one girl at the end of sixth form, she she said, Matt, I disagree entirely with you and what you believe. Mm. Um, I think it's all a load of rubbish. I think the Bibles uh, shouldn't even be listened to for five minutes, but I respect you because you lived what you said and you lived what you actually believed, which is commendable anywhere. Um, and yeah, th- that made an impact on me because I thought, well, she spotted that. We've never really had that much um, conversation about the gospel explicitly, but she's seen that I've been trying and often failing uh, to live Jesus' way. And that was noticeable to her. 
that um, that was a powerful mm. reminder to me to just carry on. It doesn't matter what what people are thinking, yeah, um, because they're seeing something that could ultimately save them. So Hopefully. you go through sixth form. Yep. Good grades or nay? Yeah, good grades. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uni. Yeah. So while while it was Liverpool a choice, um, so Dave was saying that he, you know, I'm, I think you, you are blessing, but Liverpool wasn't yeah. a choice. Liverpool was where he ended up happens to come, and then mm. that amazing picture of him just arriving at <laughs> yeah. on his own. I and was going, listening right, to that this morning. What um, so why, why Liverpool? Did you pick Liverpool? Was Liverpool a deliberate choice or...? Ah, something's happened here, Ian. Because oh. I didn't go to Liverpool uni. I went, I went to York. It was in my choices, yeah, and yeah. it was my top choice um, okay. for a long time, partly because um, my first beach mission when yeah. I was 16, I actually met Hannah, that's where we met. On in St Ives. In St Ives, yeah, right. on our, um, my first beach team. Um, so by that point we were going out, um, long distance, and part of the thought was... So that relationship started on that? Kinda. First be- yeah, not on the beach mission. Well, it's obviously, start on the beach mission because no, of rule, rule two. two. Obviously, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> must be obeyed at all times. Yes, absolutely. Um, however, UBM has become known as um, United Beach Marriages. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. But uh, no, well, but you're, and you're stacking up that statistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm one of them. Um, yeah. So Liverpool was on the options because it would have made because it really Hannah easy to here. see yeah, Hannah yeah. when she came home from her course in Birmingham. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And and the the course was really good there as well, but went to see York and just loved it. To be honest, loved it, and um, everything kind of. There was no reason that I couldn't, and I saw the CU was incredibly active there, and the ch- I had friends I knew from beach missions there in the churches that were around. So a lot kind of seemed to my uh, young minds kind of stack up in the right way yeah that, that was the place for you to be yeah yeah certainly how it felt uh, and i loved it and i just loved the campus and the course and and all of that and you did history you said yeah i did yeah 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 that was really good and i loved my time at uni incredible three years yeah and then so you get a degree mm-hmm. i'm guessing you do okay in that yep yeah. did pretty well yeah yeah and then what happens next? <laughs> yeah, so um, the time in uni was really good just as a, as a Christian. The stuff I was involved in, the stuff I was seeing. Part of the CU and on the executive team for that. With a group of Christians all broadly different from each other. Yeah. 
but all united in the gospel. And we all had different ideas on secondary things. Some of us were still trying to work all that stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were all we were all united in in reaching other students for Jesus. And I think back, and it was just such an encouraging time, and a great thing to to be involved with. I've taken a lot of lessons from, and um, yeah, really learned from. Um, and it was there that someone reminded me. Just going back to your earlier point about not having the most dramatic or incredible, you know, conversion story. Yeah. Because obviously I'd hear stories of, uh, like I met a guy from California who was um, in like a drug cartel and he went to church to shoot a guy who had mm. insulted his mother but became a Christian in the service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I hear stories like that yeah. and then you're like, wow, what, what happened with me? Like, yeah, yeah. And someone reminded me there um, while I was at uni that actually you should view the fact that you grew up in a Christian family with a solid church who loved you and wanted to encourage you on and push you towards knowing Jesus more and more. You should view that as an incredible act of kindness and grace on God's part. Mm-hmm. And you might say, wow, to all these incredible stories of, of testimony, and you should. But equally say wow god's grace is amazing god's kindness mm. is amazing that he's and i guess that's easier now looking back mm. on it than it is yeah kind of at the time yeah yeah definitely but yeah so finished the degree um and was engaged by that point right i did my third year uh, me and hannah were engaged hannah had already finished uni and had a job and we got married in 2015 and that's when i moved to liverpool Okay. Yeah. Without a job at that point. Well, so I managed to, (laughs) this is weird. I managed to get a job, a graduate scheme thing with a construction company. And then just got back from honeymoon, like two days after they rang me up and said, oh, the job's not there anymore. We've pulled the funding for it. So then I was, I was stuck then because I just got married, um, just moved to a new city. And, you know, we were renting. Yeah. Well, actually. Taking on responsibilities, yeah, yeah. financial responsibilities. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, kind of the job's gone. So, um, the one thing that would, that I knew was in my head in the future that gave me some structure to what I was going to be doing in Liverpool had kind of gone. Mm. So that kicked off nine months of, of being unemployed. Um, and Hannah kind of shouldering all the kind of financial responsibility I guess and what was that like for you yeah that was really hard Mm. Hannah would often come in and find me just quite down Mm. um, in a bad mood that lack of structure and the fact that I'd always had stuff to get my teeth into right through from school to the end of uni suddenly there's nothing yeah and you, you lose your sense of purpose a little bit and that was a really important time for me to actually learn from that that my purpose wasn't defined in what I was doing Mm. or what I felt I was doing that was productive or successful. Um, but looking back on it now... I'm glad it happened. Because looking back things on it, you learned. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. so much.
I guess it's towards the end of that time that that friend tells you of the, the job at Maersk. Uh, yeah. So, Les Stamper, if you're out there, thank you, because Les helped uh, get me set up with a job that tidied me over for a, three months or so um, in the Royal and Broad Green uh, hospitals. So I was doing medical records, uh, wheeling all the, the patient notes around the hospitals oh, yeah, for a bit. Yeah, yeah. So I did that three days a week for a bit. And then, uh, yeah, uh, Sam sorted me out with the job at Maersk. And that's where I've been for the last four years now. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about the, the future, but just let's go not too far back, but talk about coming to Liverpool, coming to Bridge. Yeah. Um, now at the moment, we're currently heading up the uh, Bridge Kids team. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk a little bit maybe about coming to Bridge, getting involved, and a little journey from from that point of, of being here to, to where you are now. Mm. Yeah, so we've been... How long have we been here? Here at Bridge, five years. Um, so yeah, in, in that time, got straight stuck into Bridge Kids because working with kids is always something I'd done. Um, even back at home in Nottingham, started helping out in the, the kids' Friday night clubs uh, from about age 14, really, and seeing how it was done, eventually going on to leading groups, uh, small groups, and helping teach kids the Bible. So that was an obvious place for me to start once we came to Bridge. What was it like coming into Bridge Kids, which is pretty mad, <laughs> yeah, compared to <laughs> yeah. what you'd grown up with? What What were your initial <laughs> thoughts? Um, nuts. Yeah. Definitely nuts. There was way more kids than I was ever used to. Yeah. And I was kind of used to not having so many people my age as well on the leadership team. I was kind yeah. of like always the youngest one. Yeah. I was always the the crazy one and, you know, the energetic one and the funny one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was quite hard turning up here. And obviously there's all these guys my age and even younger yeah. um, leading the kids who are way funnier and, you know, way more energetic, way more ideas. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking, ah, okay, my role in what I would normally do with the kids has kind of changed a little bit. So um, yeah. those guys can do all of that that stuff <laughs> yeah, and I'll yeah. have to kind of um, watch and learn and just work out and John's leading at this yeah uh, John Crawford's leading yeah. that at this point um, so yeah and I just wanted to take my time to sit sit back and see and then how it could be best used happen. yeah camps so actually I went on Bridge Kids Camp that was the first thing I did um, after we got the first summer you were here yeah yeah yeah. and then started on the team in the in the September, the September afterwards mm. so now five years later ish yeah so uh, you're you're leading that team mm. what what are, what are your views about your experiences how they've brought you to that point where you are now yeah i love leading bridge kids um why i love i love working with a team that are all united around the the mission to give kids the gospel and to break it down for them. Mm -hmm. And I love when when you're the leader of the team, you get to see how different people's talents and different people's skills merge together for the same thing in mm -hmm. a way that you might not ordinarily stop and, and think about if you're just part of the team. Mm -hmm. um, I've, it's been 
obviously it's a Friday night is a rush. Yeah. You finish work at five, you get back about six and then you're straight to to bridge to start running a, a youth work and I'll often open up the team prayer time with kind of saying, look, we've all had busy weeks. But we've got an hour and a half here where we can uh, live and share the gospel with these kids and what a privilege that is. And I have to remind myself of that. Um, and so whether a leader or a team member, it's a privilege to be able to do that. And it's mm-hmm. it's an awesome thing. Yeah. And have you seen any changes in bridge kids that have happened over the time or that you've kind of helped to bring about? Um. Yeah, I think when I first took it on, you've got always got this worry in the back of your mind that what if the numbers drop on mm-hmm. on my watch, or what if people don't think it's as fun anymore, or you know all these these kind of slightly irrational things start swelling around in your head. Um, in, ter- in terms of changes, I don't know. We've introduced a banjolele. Does that count <laughs> as a change? <laughs> um, now I've always I've always wanted to make sure we can still have as much fun with these kids and make sure it's not like school for them. Like mm-hmm. they've they've got more freedom, but they're still hearing the gospel um incredibly clearly. And a lot of the work that we've done kind of together in trying to firm up what we're teaching on a Friday night. Um really thinking carefully about the words we use and how even the act of holding the Bible when we're doing a story, mm. I think it's really important. And I think I think generally uh, our whole team's on board and mm. we want to improve that and want to make that more solid because God promises, doesn't he, in his word that when his word goes out, yeah. there's a result from that. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, it's a, it's a real privilege to be yeah. partnering with with God but also with, mm. with other believers in that. Yeah. In that project of that God has given us to, you know, to add yeah, to right. our kingdom, so that, that it's an, it is an amazing, an amazing privilege. think a little bit further forward maybe how you see things um, panning out for you your hopes dreams ambitions that kind of stuff yeah okay so I've never (laughs) doing a a degree like history you kind of wonder well what how did he end up in shipping what happened Mm -hmm. there yeah I I did just fall into a career in shipping and I've never really particularly been a, a massively career-minded kind of guy. And partly that's because I've never really known exactly in a like a, a secular vocational work sense what exactly I'd like to do, but um, always under under all of that has been probably since my late teenage years, a a desire, I guess you could call it a a feeling. I've described it as an itch in the past that 
um, that at some point I would want to step into full time uh, ministry okay. and make that um, yeah what I do with my my nine to five as it were. Obviously, we're all called to be Christians. We're all called to follow Jesus and obey Him and live for God's glory and love others. But at the same time, there's something I've never been able to shake, which is this feeling of being pulled towards doing that with, yeah, my nine to five, I guess is how I would describe that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've read a lot on that and talked with many people and there's more people on my hit list to talk mm. to and mm. listen to and more things to read because should it happen, it's got to be, I've got to have my eyes open. Um, I've got to learn as much as I can um, while I'm here, um, both in my work uh, each day as and as well as the things I'm doing here at Bridge. Um, so yeah, the, the, some of the best advice I've I've heard is to is to stir stir that that feeling yeah. um, and see where that goes. But in the meantime, prepare and read and pray and watch and listen and and learn as much as you can and if if god calls you to that then he calls you to that and uh there's a something that's just come into my head from my time at cu which it really stuck with me someone said that god doesn't call the equipped he equips the called mm -hmm. which i think yeah helpful it's, it's really yeah helpful and and true, and it may be that that equipping is over a long period of time. Yeah, because there's a tension, isn't there? Because it feels like it's almost wrong to be ambitious for yeah, and ministry. Yeah, i with that, definitely. And, you know, there's a whole host of different views and opinions on stuff like that. And, you know, some people uh, will have a one view, some people will have another view, you know, and it is quite... Um, daunting to say or, or potentially you you know anyone is opening themselves up to some degree of comment or critique when mm. you know they express an ambition for a a life of ministry where mm. they wouldn't be face the same comments where they say when well, i want to be a teacher or i want to be a doctor or yeah, sure. you know or any other career or life choice you might want to make so mm. how are you how are you thinking through and handling that um that tension about yeah. you know being a minister is the last thing that you should you should do for example could be one mm. one view or another view could be forget everything don't even go to work <laughs> just you know live by faith man you know whatever yeah yeah um yeah, it is hard, and you you do feel that tension. And even then, it felt odd saying that into a microphone <laughs> a little bit because I think over so many years I've kind of conditioned myself to say, "Oh, it might happen one day." Mm. But now I'm kind of more at the point of of feeling that it's a when, not an if, because I I've felt that strongly that the experiences God's given me the. Um, the training, I, I guess, that he's put me through in terms of experiences and opportunities 
is all pointing in a certain direction or seems to be mm. to my mind anyway mm. and i guess certain giftings and, and skills that people have pointed out or said they benef- benefited from kind of all suggests that is something i should be thinking about so what's your next what are your thoughts about the immediate mm. medium future about how you how you will pursue that yeah um yeah uh, again like i said earlier stirring in that and um i think it was john piper he talks about you put these feelings you put god's word you put your prayers you put them all into a pot and you stir mm. and you and and you wait um so for me now i feel that it's it's waiting on on the opportunity that will come along because i don't believe that it's necessarily right to just create an opportunity for yourself okay. or you know just go on a job site and look for them the way yeah, that you would sure sure but and, but there's a, there's an you know there's another tension there isn't there between mm. passively yeah waiting for something to happen and then you know yeah pushing doors is the that's phrase right. that's that's used isn't it um i think we've alluded to this in different conversations but the whole idea of god's will mm. and purpose for your life is something that we could obviously spend a lot of time yeah talking about but the idea as we chatted with dave about you know god's given you a, a brain he's given mm. you his word he's given you people to speak to and we're all in that same situation where we make the best decision we can with the information yeah. and whatever else we've got right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and they've been helpful, actually, the way that's come up in the last two podcasts that I've been listening yeah. to because, yeah, I think that's right. Um, so how is that informing what you're doing or looking to do? And then what could people pray for? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's I think when you recognise you've had those feelings for a long for a long time, that sense, that itch, as I often mm-hmm. try and describe it to people, and then is that matched with um, potentially the the ability to serve in some capacity in a in a full time ministry? Well. Some would say yes. There's like there's certain competencies there that could be used in in that in some regard in the future, and so you put those those kind of things together and say, well, they shape up to kind of suggest that, that this certainly is possible in the future. Yeah. And yeah. so, what I've been doing really now is is speaking with um, as many people as possible, um, and then you know praying with people and. Yeah, exploring where those conversations will go, really. Yeah, okay, cool. That's cool. So let's let's move on then to um, what you read in, what you find encouraging, anything, you know, what what's, you know, your, your daily devotion kind of process. Everyone has different things, like listen to podcasts, you know, yeah. doing whatever, whatever. What, what works for Matt Horry? <laughs> um, loads of, a mix of all of those, really. Um. I mean, since I was a teenager, certainly through the sixth form, you know, at a time when it was, it was really intense in like a, a friendship sense. Um, my friends who weren't Christians that we discussed earlier, 
it was massively helpful for me to have that disciplined time in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that was a time that really kind of took off for me. And I know it doesn't work every time uh, for everyone like that. And um, definitely with a busy life, and um, the busier it's got, I've struggled to find that time sometimes in the mornings. But that is when I like to do it yeah. um, because it really sets sets the day off in a good way. But and what have you found useful in that? Yeah. Any particular resor resources that you'd um, recommend or say would go bad and different? Yeah, so um, normally what I would just do is is get my Bible. <laughs> okay. That's my main resource. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd I'd read something from the Old Testament and something from the, from the New Testament um, if I've got time and then sit and try and pray over those things, apply them to the day, write out a list, maybe keep a list of mm -hmm. who or what I've been praying for just because I'm so terrible at remembering. I'm terrible a lot of the time at praying for other people. Um, so I have to put tools and things in, in place to remind me, remind us to pop up on my phone to pray yeah. for yeah, yeah. different things, different people. Um, what me and Hannah have found really useful recently is we've been trying to uh, read the Bible more together um, and just make more of an effort to uh, pray together as well. Is um, There's an app called Dwell, mm -hmm. which is worth worth looking into, guys. Yeah. Well, we've um, got, an, um, church we got a subscription. Church, church subscription. Yeah, there's quite a few people uh, joined into that, yeah. So yeah, that's it good, yeah. It's yeah. dead helpful. Um, because I, I was suspicious of it for a while. Right. I'll tell you why. Because I thought... No, if we're reading the Bible, we should read the Bible. And it's yeah. it's lazy to listen to it on an audiobook until I twigged that actually most people originally reading the Bible would have listened to would it. Would have listened to <laughs> it. Right, yeah, sure. So I thought, yeah. yeah, what's wrong with an audio yeah, yeah, yeah. Bible? Yeah. So yeah, we're currently going through Deuteronomy. Great. Um we've had the long slog through um Leviticus and Numbers, numbers recently. Yeah. So we're love numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, I mean there's lots of like we were saying in previous episodes, there's lots of stuff out there isn't it to to help you there's all kinds of apps you know dwell as one there's there's loads of others as well what about books that you've read that you found helpful or yeah. um, particular bible passages that you've found have been you know you've you've turned to or you go back to yeah um i've been reading recently um a book that hannah got me for christmas um it's probably lesser known um but it's called Together for the City, which is a book by um, Hannah's old pastor, actually, in Birmingham, uh, called Neil Powell. Right. And he's partnered with a fella called um, another pastor called John James. Um, and they've written a book about um, citywide collaboration. Between churches. Between churches. Yeah. And the way they describe it is um, to that church planting primarily and being a network of churches that support each other to do that and they they describe it not as planting churches together but together planting churches so there's a wide variety of churches in Birmingham mm -hmm. which is the context they're in all with different views on yes, many sure. different issues yeah. but united in the same gospel and so they they're just sharing their experiences and their their wisdom around how other cities, other churches can partner together on the same lines because the the terrifying statistic of it is that something like less than 2% of people in this country are 
Bible-believing Christians. Mm. And although right now, that's that's true. Although right now, there's they reckon up to twenty-five percent of the population. Yeah, in lockdown, listening, yeah. incredible, or participating in some form of Christian worship. Yeah, which is something we need to definitely yeah get that's onto. An amazing increase, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, th- so their point in this book is um, basically if if we want to start reaching out into communities by putting gospel communities into those communities, we're not going to do enough just by ourselves. And so we, we need to okay. pool and share yeah. resources and ideas and yeah, training. Yeah, and yeah. So we'll link to that in the, uh, we'll put a reference to that in the Yeah, in so that's the been really notes, good. Yeah. Um, I listened to Dave's podcast just today, actually, so... He mentioned the hole in our holiness yeah. by Kevin DeYoung, yeah. which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, also by Kevin DeYoung is Just Do Something. Yeah. And we've touched on this um, in a few of the podcasts now, haven't we, about the issue of guidance yeah. and yeah. God's will. Yeah. So helpful for me, that book, Just Do Something. Okay. And really short as well, which yeah. is ideal. Yeah. But the one I'd probably want to um, point out that's helped me, again, because it's even shorter than Just Do Something, <laughs> is um, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness uh, by Tim Keller. Yes. I've not read it, but I've, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, which in in that nine months or so when I was unemployed, just moved to Liverpool, was really helpful to me because it. D- Tim Keller in that, he, he says a lot of people these days, especially more than ever, struggle with this issue of self-identity yeah. and self-esteem. Yeah. And the answer... To that, from the Bible, he says, the gospel answer is not that we should try and make sure we have better self-esteem. It's it's not thinking less of yourself to be more humble. It's not doing that. It's not thinking more of yourself to make yourself happier. It's just thinking of yourself less, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's taking our eyes off ourselves, taking ourselves out of the courtroom and saying that Christ is... Christ has justified me and called me free and called me saved. And when God looks at me, he sees the perfection of Jesus. So why do I keep holding myself up to mm. my own standard of perfection? Um, or punishing myself when I fail to, to reach what I think I should have done when God calls me justified and adopted and, and forgiven and live out of that freedom is what he says. And that's, that was so powerful for me at, at that time because... I was looking for identity found in what I was doing in the nine to five and what I was achieving. And I couldn't, I I could do very little in a human sense, but that just reminded me where my identity really is. Colossians three verses one to four. Don't sing it. Yeah. It's always been a favorite. (laughs) I I nearly did. I'll save everyone the agony. Yeah. Um, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and your minds on things above. But recently as well, in a course that I've been doing. We've been going through Romans. Um, and so I'd encourage uh, anyone listening to read through Romans chapter 12, mm. particularly the, the first three or four verses, where it says, um, therefore in view of God's mercy and all this awesome uh, theology that Paul's just presented to the readers, you know, adoption, no condemnation, uh, justification in Christ, Gentiles and Jews to be saved through God's gospel. In view of all of that stuff, give your whole self to Christ. Live your life as a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And um, 
something that was pointed out to me in this course was what's Paul's aim in the book of Romans is that it's that Gentile and Jew alike, all people basically, be sanctified, be made holy, and are given as an offering to God. So Paul's aim is for us all to live for Christ. Is for us all, yeah, to be complete in yeah. complete sacrifice to him. Yeah. And a quote from a preacher on that. I don't I can't remember the guy's name. I just know that the preacher was Scottish. Okay. And from, from Aberdeen. And this really stuck with me. He said, The job of a pastor, like Paul, the job of a pastor is to fatten sheep for the kill. And that that was really cool to me. Well. <laughs> Sounds a bit weird. You've got to think yeah. about it for a minute. Yeah. But the job of Paul's job was to get these people so full of Jesus and bursting with love for him that they're ready to die for him and leave leave everything. Well, and sacrifice their yeah. lives to him. And yeah, that's a prayer for, for me and Hannah that we'd we'd do that by God's grace and, and God's help. Uh, and for us as a church as well. Yeah. Amazing. So that does seem like a good place to stop. Yep. That's enough. Perfect. <laughs> thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Cheers, man. This was fun. Cheers. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Bridge Podcast. If you've got comments, suggestions or questions for us, please feel free to send them in to podcast at bridgechapel.co.uk and we'll respond to all those emails and try and incorporate any suggestions into future shows. To get as many people as possible to hear this podcast, if you like and subscribe to it on your podcast provider, that'll really help. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to you joining us next week on the Bridge Podcast. Bye.